Hey, Grace. Good morning. Good to be back. Uh, it's good to see you guys. I want to talk to you real, real quick about um, that video. But before I do that, I want to just say something. Um, in this time that we're in, where so much is different, right? Everything, it just seems like everything's different and everything's off and we feel kind of anxious about everything. I just want to point out one thing that's the same. I still stink at announcements, even on video. And Haley still kills it every time she does it. So it's good to have her back. Uh, so I just wanted to point that out. Um, a little bit of comic relief that when announcements get left to me, uh, it doesn't go well. So thank you, Haley. It's good to have you back. Okay. The video you just watched uh, obviously is a church plant in Southern California. One of the things and one of the reasons I want to point that out and why I wanted to show you that was because this particular church plant um, is a church plant that we've actually uh, had a hand in supporting financially. And why that's important is because two things I want to point out. Number one, this is one of the reasons why it's important that we continue to give. Uh, we're not meeting on Sunday mornings, but the, the, the money that comes in to, to Grace every month uh, is still accomplishing the things that, that it was meant to accomplish. It's still going out and doing the work. Uh, so I would encourage you to continue to do that. The other reason I wanted to point that out is because at the end of May, every year, uh, this year, the last Sunday of May falls on the 31st. Uh, we have a special day, and many of you know where I'm going with this. We have a special day, a special uh, service that we call our special offering. And what we do is that we save all year, we budget, we earmark money uh, to give over and above what we give monthly uh, for the specific purpose of missions whether it's planning a church in Southern California, whether it's a skate church, uh, a skateboard ministry in Portland. Um, we support another church plant in Eastern Oregon. We have missionaries in the Dominican Republic. We have missionaries in a couple different, uh, uh, three, three different countries in Africa. We have missionaries uh, in Haiti. We have missionaries all over the world that we support with that money that comes in on that one day. And so I just wanted, normally this time of year, we start to announce that, and I wanted to do that. I want you to think about that. Think about what God would lay on your heart to give on that day. Last year, uh, we as a church, not a giant church, right? We came together on that one day and raised a little over $63,000 to be given away towards missions. And that money has just been going out all this last year. It's been going out to support those different, those different missions and those different organizations. So I just want you to think about that. And sometimes it helps when we put a face uh, to that. So as you uh, remember that video, we'll put that video on the website so you can, you can continue to watch that if you want and just see the faces of the people that we're actually supporting. So May 31st, be ready for that. I'd encourage you to start thinking about that, praying about that, talking about that with your wife, with your husband, with your kids, because um, that's coming up. All right, cool. So, uh, we're in our last Sunday of our mini-series uh, on the symbols of Christ. We interrupted our, our, our uh, series on the exile as we're walking through um, the Bible in a year together and preaching through the Bible and teaching through the Bible uh, in our small groups. Uh, we interrupted a, a series uh, called the Egg, what, it, what It Means to Be an Exile because it's Easter time and I thought it was important for us to talk about these things. So... Uh, three weeks ago, we talked about the symbol of communion, right? There are four symbols for us as Christians, the symbols of Christ. So four weeks, three weeks ago, we talked about the symbol of communion. Two weeks ago, 
uh, leading into Good Friday, we talked about the symbol of the cross and what that means for us as Christians. Uh, Then last week, uh, if you remember, Easter Sunday, Luke gave us an an amazing gospel presentation of what what the risen Christ means for us as humans. The empty tomb, if you will. That's the the third symbol is the empty tomb. And so today I want to talk about the fourth symbol. Um, As the series was laid out, this symbol was first, but I thought it was really appropriate for us to talk about this symbol last, after Easter, after we talk about the death and resurrection of Jesus. um, And that is the symbol of baptism. So um, this symbol, I think more than the other symbols, has a lot of confusion around it. Uh, I think when we think of the cross of Christ, when we think of the empty tomb of Christ, uh, there doesn't tend to be a ton of confusion around that. There's a little bit of confusion surrounding communion or the Lord's Supper in the ways that we take that. But I think the symbol of baptism, more than any of the other three symbols, has maybe uh, a lack of teaching and just some confusion about what it is, what it isn't, what it does, what it doesn't do. Uh, And so we're going to talk about that. We're going to get into that a little bit. But we're going to mainly focus on what we believe um, uh, baptism is and what it does. We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about what it isn't or what it doesn't do, if that makes any sense. So before we get there, I just want to talk and just reflect a little bit on the idea of symbols. Right. It's 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 something that we uh, don't think about a lot. We don't think about symbols. Um, but they're all around us, and they mean something to us. Symbols are significant. If I were to show you, if we were to pop up on the screen a symbol, um, a, a picture of a black screen with a white apple with a bite taken out of it, that's a symbol for something. And I think as I say that, uh, 99% of us that are watching this right now know what that symbol represents. It represents the company Apple. For most of us, it represents an iPhone. Uh, but it represents something. Right. If I were to show you uh, a picture on the screen with a with a swoosh on it, that's a symbol that means something. It means uh, it, instantly you think of two things. You think of the word Nike and you think of the term just do it. Those things come into your mind because of that symbol. So when we see the symbol of a cross, it means something for us as Christians. Uh, and it's important that we know exactly what that symbol stands for. So this goes across the board. There are good symbols, there are bad symbols. If I were to show you a picture of a swastika, that symbol means something. It stands for something horrific and evil. But it's a symbol, right? We all have symbols in our lives, and we see symbols all around us, and those symbols mean something to us. And so it's important for us as Christians to know what the symbols that represent our faith mean, what they are, and what they accomplish. So, Confusion over baptism. Dunk, sprinkle, babies, not babies. Um, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and so we have a lot of people in our community that um, have some background in the Catholic faith. And so our Catholic brothers and sisters would, uh, would teach something slightly different around this symbol. And so, again, we're not going to spend a lot of time Uh, refuting what we think would be a wrong way to do this. We're going to talk about um, the scriptures as we're walking through. I think this is a really appropriate way for us to do this right now, because as we're walking through the Bible, I think that it's really important for us to view uh, this as a part of the story. We've been talking about this all along. And so much of what we're doing is based out of the Bible project. And you know, 
if you've watched any of their videos, they spend a lot of time at the beginning, at the end of their videos, just saying this phrase, we believe that the Bible is one story that leads to Jesus, right? And so from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, we believe that all the stories and everything that happens in this story is designed to lead us to Jesus. And so what we want to do today is look at the symbol of baptism as a part of the narrative, as a part of the story of Jesus. And if we do that, I think that a lot of what um, we see as confusion kind of tends to fall away, and it becomes pretty simple. So, we don't have time to go into all of this, but what I want to say is as we look at the symbol of baptism in this way, as a part of the story, we see a couple things very clearly. And one of the things I want to point out, it seems to always follow repentance. Right? The ba- baptism always seems to follow repentance. It always seems to follow a declaration of faith in Jesus or a declaration of faith in God, or a declaration that we need to repent, that we come to God as unworthy and repent before Him. Baptism always follows repentance in the Scriptures. Always. Now, the word literally means to immerse. Every, everywhere that the, the word baptism is used in the Scriptures, it's used, and it, this word literally means to immerse. Now, I've been accused of overusing the word literally, And I want to make sure that you know that I'm using it in the proper manner today. It literally means to immerse. A couple different ways. Now, it's always not used um, in in biblical literature. It's not always used to talk about the term baptism as a symbol. It's also used um, in biblical uh, writings for something else. When uh, when in, in in their day and age, when they would die... Uh, cloth to make clothing. What they would do, and they would use this word, they would baptize it in the dye. And when it came out, it was different. And why that's significant, and why it's significant that they use the same term, is it means to immerse, and it also has connotations of identification. So a white piece of cloth, or a brown piece of cloth that goes into, is baptized into a purple dye, comes out no longer a brown or white cloth. It comes out a purple cloth. So there's two meanings behind the word. The the first word, or the first meaning is to baptize, and the second meaning has a change in identification, a change in appearance, a change in what it's marked by because of what it was immersed or baptized into. And so as we start to think about a baptism as a symbol of our faith, when we think about the meaning of the word that's used as a part of that symbol, all of a sudden we start to see a really, really profound and yet very, very simple picture. It would be easy to talk about uh, the baptism as an issue of obedience. Um, as we see the New Testament, we see the words of Jesus specifically commanding us to be baptized. And it's really important. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, it's important to follow his commands, and his, one of his, his commands is to be baptized. But, again, we're simply going to approach this as a part of the story. So, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3. And as the New Testament opens, we see this man named John. And it says, well, you know what, I'm just going to read it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 3, and I'm going to read... Uh, the the entirety of the chapter, and then we're going to go back and kind of look at at what we see. So Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 1. 
In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and honey. Then Jerusalem and all of Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay, so Matthew chapter 3 is jam-packed, full of information. In this really, uh, uh, really quick story about Jesus being baptized and a little bit of description about who John was and what he was doing, there is so much that is packed into this story. Right off the bat, we see a prophet identifying with Elijah. If we go back and read some details about Elijah and his ministry, if we come forward to this story and see some of the things that it gives us about John living in the wilderness, what he wore, what he ate, uh, that's designed for our antennas to go up and say, wait a second, we've seen this before. We've seen this in the prophet Elijah. One of the other things that we see and as we read through the New Testament and then look back at the Old Testament, some really interesting things come up. This theme of water and judgment. We can go, we can go all the way back uh, in Genesis and see the story of the flood. And, and we can see that, that Noah and his family were, in a sense, baptized through the waters. They came through the waters into new life, right? As uh, the, the evil of the world was judged. We see um, the nation of Israel passing through the waters of the Red Sea as the nation of Egypt was judged. They were baptized in a sense and received new life, new freedom from the bondage of, of Egypt through water. We see in First and Second Peter and in First Corinthians this theme of judgment over evil. The earth is washed, evil is swallowed up, and God delivers his people into new life. We see this again and again and again. Then after 
for the 40 years in the wilderness, we see the nation of Israel passing through the Jordan River into their new home, into their new life, out of the judgment of God, being uh, forced to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. We see this beautiful symbolism all through these stories. Now, okay, let's, let's talk specifically about what it was that John was doing. Because there's a couple of details that aren't included in that. So when people um, converted to Judaism in those days, they were called proselytes. And one of the things that they were required to do as a part of the process was to repent and to be baptized. This was not something that Jewish people normally did. And so when John comes and, and, and is saying, and, and uh, like Matthew actually quotes the book of Isaiah speaking about John, he's saying, come and repent of your sins to be baptized. Why? Because Isaiah talked about the, the preparing of the way for the kingdom of God, for the Messiah. And so when John came speaking about the Messiah, the new kingdom of God, uh, to, to, and invited them to come and be baptized, he's inviting them to renew their commitment as people of God. And then we see this in his words to the, to the Pharisees, right? Don't assume that you are a part of the kingdom of God because you have Abraham as your father. God can raise up these stones into children of Abraham. Don't assume that you are a people of God because of who your granddad is. Bear fruit uh, that lines up with repentance. Because if we're not willing to repent, he says, even now the axe is laid to the tree. So, even here we see baptism following repentance, right? We see baptism following repentance. John is essentially answering, answering the question for them and for us, why? Why do we need to be baptized? It always follows repentance. Repentance then, or repentance, then baptism, is the way to be God's people under God's reign. Okay, I'm going to repeat that. Repentance, then baptism, is the way to be God's people under God's reign. Baptism always follows repentance. It's a symbol that represents our repentance and entering into God's kingdom. The Jews would have said that we already have that heritage, we already have our place is a part of God's kingdom because of who um, our granddad is or our great-granddad or our great-great-great-granddad, and they would follow that all the way back to the promise made to Abraham. So, John is preparing the way for what? He's preparing the way for the Messiah. He's preparing the way for the kingdom of God to be delivered. And John, let's look. go back to verse 11. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. So he's using fire language to, to also represent this idea of passing through, uh, through judgment in order to receive new life. Right? In the same way that we see all these stories, he even says it here, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming is mightier than I. He's preparing the way for the Messiah. Fire is the final judgment. Water is the temporary judgment. Now, this idea, this Holy Spirit idea, why does the coming of the Holy Spirit to the church, why is that portrayed as baptism? That's an interesting question, isn't it? 
What does the Spirit have to do with purification by water or immersion in water? Okay, let's go back to the story. Jesus comes and wants to be baptized. Then Jesus comes from Galilee. This is verse 13. Jesus comes from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. So he recognizes Jesus for who he is. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That's a key phrase. We're going to come back to that. Then he consented. He being John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus comes up from the waters. What do the waters represent? The place of judgment and death, right? So Jesus comes up out of the waters and immediately heaven is ripped open and the spirit descends like a dove. That's interesting. We're going to come back to that in just a second because that's a really, really, really key phrase. So what we see here is what has been separating humanity from the kingdom of God, his reign is now ripped open Right? So heaven itself is ripped open and the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus. The reign of God is revealed to us in this moment in the person of Jesus. The kingdom of God is revealed to us in the personhood of Jesus. This voice from heaven reveals that Jesus is both the Son of God and the suffering servant that was spoken to them so many years before through all of the prophets. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let me ask a question. When's the last time we saw the Spirit of God hovering over the waters? Creation, right? So what we see now in the Spirit coming down, hovering over the waters on the person of Jesus is a new creation. This is a really, 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 really profound picture for us as believers in Jesus. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters when God was creating the world that we live in. And here we see the Spirit of God hovering over the water on the person of Jesus, representing the new creation and the new kingdom of God. Now, all of this is meant to answer us the question, why would Jesus get baptized? If baptism always follows repentance, why would Jesus need to be baptized? At the moment of Jesus' baptism, he receives the commission to undertake the role of the suffering servant of God and to take on himself, not his own sins, but the sins of the people. What he says to John, right? This must be done to fulfill all righteousness. Let's look at, the, let's look at a couple of verses. The quote, when, when God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, a couple different phrases. Uh, Psalm chapter 2, verse 7 says that you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1 says, Behold my servant who I am, whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. So what we see in Jesus' baptism is that the, the image of the Son of God and the image of the suffering servant are fused. There were so many times, and I think that part of the, the difficulty that the Jews had in viewing Jesus as the Messiah was that a lot of times they didn't fuse those as 
or they didn't view those as one. But what we see here in this statement by God the Father himself is saying that the Son of God and the suffering servant are one and the same. So while the Jews were coming to John in the wilderness to be baptized for their own sins, what we see here in Jesus' baptism is that he's not being baptized for his own sins. He's being baptized as a representative of the people. Jesus' baptism was representative, and it was also prophetic, right? It's, also, it's prophetic of what? It's prophetic of his death and his resurrection, which is the sacrifice for the sins of the people, right? It's, it's, a, it's a prophetic foreshadowing of what he was actually going to do. He was actually going to pass through judgment for the sake of his people. What swallows up sin and death? and offers delivery into new life, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the baptism for us is a symbol of what he did for us. And this is how we understand baptism. It's an immersion into and identification with what Jesus did for us in the gospel, the cross and the empty tomb. He passed through judgment and came out the other side for us, to give us new life. Now, Let's go to Romans 6 and see what Paul says about this idea of baptism to make it really clear for us. Starting in verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ, okay, that's really key, we're baptized into Christ. We're baptized into His death. When we go into the water, it's representative of us entering into His death with Him. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ through baptism, right? Through repentance. We believe that we will also live with him coming up out of the water, right? Resurrection. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. He died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is a very clear understanding of what baptism represents to us. The reality of what God has accomplished in the gospel. The reality of what God through Jesus has accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. It's the picture of what he did for us and our identification with him. Remember what we talked about, the word baptism, how it means to be immersed and identified with, right? This is what it represents for us. We are baptized into the death of Jesus and our actual identity is changed. We are now identified with him because we have been baptized with him. We have gone through what he did for us. His death and resurrection paid for the judgment that was meant for us and so that we don't have to experience that judgment. We pass through the water as a celebration of what he did for us in our place. 
Verse 12, still in Romans chapter 6. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. That's us. In the same way that Noah and his family gained freedom through the flood, in the same way that the nation of Egypt or the nation of Israel gained freedom through the Red Sea, in the same way that the nation of, uh, of Israel gained freedom as they went into the Promised Land, out of the wilderness, we too have been invited to walk in newness of life, because we have been given freedom from the bondage of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We have been invited to walk in the newness of life that Jesus freely offers. Right? So, so often we can, we can um, get fixated on, the, fixated on the idea that we're avoiding judgment, which means we get to go to heaven. And that's very, 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 very true. But I think sometimes we miss the fact that we have actually been given the freedom to walk in newness of life now. We are no longer slaves to sin. We walk with Jesus, towards Jesus, in the newness of life that he gives us. Free from the cycle of shame and penance. I'm not worthy. I stink. I can't be good enough. We're free from that. We're free from the blame game, from the shame game, from the comparison game. We're free from all of that because we walk in the life that Jesus gives. And then he offers it to all of us. Right? This is the beauty of the gospel. That, that shame game is the old us. That, that bondage to sin that we can no longer measure up, that's the old us. That's not the new us. I need that to be true. I need that to be true today. Because uh, if, if you're honest and if I'm honest, we so easily fall back into that. It's like walking into a cell and shutting the door behind us. That comparison, I'm not good enough. God couldn't possibly love me. You don't know what I've done. Or I'm not as good as that guy. Or he's not as good as me, right? We do play this comparison game. We walk back into that cell. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I opened that door. I opened that door and I set you free. I set him free. I set her free. We're invited to walk in newness of life. Where the blood of Jesus, the, 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 the work of Jesus passing through judgment for us makes it possible for us to say, you know what? I screwed up. I failed. And I fail every day. But Jesus loves me. We can walk in the newness of life. The walking in the newness of life does not mean that we walk as perfect people who no longer sin. It means that that sin no longer represents us as our identity. Right? Our identity is the person and work of Jesus. That's our identity. And so we can walk as imperfect people we can apologize. We don't walk unapologetically. We walk apologetically. We walk in repentance, right? We walk in repentance as people who have nothing to prove because it's been proven for us. We represent, we, we recognize that we couldn't prove it, but that Jesus did it. And so we walk in his life. We have been baptized into his death and we walk in his life, in his resurrection. This is amazing news for us. 
This is amazing news for us. And this is what the symbol of baptism represents. You have been baptized into his death and raised into his life. Now, it is God who acts. It is Jesus who acted on the cross. It is Jesus who acted. It is not us that acts. We are recipients of grace. And if we are recipients of grace, we no longer have anything to hold over anyone else. We freely offer the life that has been freely offered to us. So I want to invite you today. I just want to, I just want to say this. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have gone through this thing that we call repentance, if you have, have heard the stories of Jesus, if you have come to believe in him and you have said, my goodness, I understand this whole thing. I've been trying to measure up and I couldn't for so long. And I want Jesus to stand in my place. He's offering to stand in my place and I am saying, yes, would you please stand in my place so that I might receive the life that you offer. If you have gone through that in your own heart and yet have not been baptized, I would invite you to do that. Normally, uh, what we do as a church is we gather all together at the end of the summer uh, and, and we do this as a great big celebration. We do these baptisms once a year. We still don't know if we're going to be able to do that. But I would invite you to, to fill out the card, the, the, the card that they offered on the link, or you can email us through the website or through the comments uh, on the stream and just say, I, I have not taken this step of obedience to Jesus. I haven't done this yet. And we'll do this together as a family. We'll figure it out. Um, I've done this as a large group of people. We've done this as just uh, one or two people. And we have representation of all of that in the scriptures. But this is an important step for us as believers to walk in obedience to Jesus. To say, I am passing through the waters with Jesus and I am coming out of the waters with Jesus. Jesus as my advocate. Jesus as my king, Jesus as my priest. Listen, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteousness for the unrighteous, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. The purpose of Jesus' work, the purpose of Jesus uh, suffering once for sins, those sons need not be suffered for ever again in that manner. The payment of those sins has been paid. The purpose was to bring us to God. The purpose was for us to be reconciled to the reality that we were always meant to exist in as the people of God in the kingdom of God for eternity in newness of life. Man, that is an amazing, amazing invitation. And I want to encourage you, as I just said, uh, if you have not been baptized, to consider it contact us. I'd love to have that conversation with you. If you have not reached the point of repentance, I would invite you, based on what we saw here today, or what what we've read here today, to consider that. To consider that as a possibility for your life. Again, you can fill out that card, you can contact us, and I'd love to have those conversations with you. Uh, Contact the person that maybe invited you to this uh, service today, or talk to your mom, or your dad, or, or your husband, or your wife. I would invite you into this possibility of newness of life with Jesus because of what he has done. It's a free gift based on nothing but his grace 
and his love. I love you guys. We're going to worship right now. And I would invite you, if you've prepared and you have the elements ready, uh, to take, take communion, to celebrate uh, this bread that represents Jesus' body that was broken for us, and to drink this cup that represents the, the blood of Jesus that was shed for our sins. And then to think on and meditate on this idea of baptism, what it represents for us as Christians. What a beautiful picture that we have passed through the waters, just as the Israelites did, just as Noah did, into newness of life. Newness of life with him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, as we look at these symbols, I would, I would pray, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, that they become real to us as real as the Apple um, insignia, as real as that Nike swoosh, Father, that when we see someone being baptized, that these scriptures and these pictures would flood our minds and our souls. When we see a cross, that our minds and hearts would be flooded with all the stories and what that cross represents for us, what the empty tomb represents for us, what this bread and what this cup represent for us. Father, we thank you that even as we live in a world where cultural and sacred symbols are being left by the wayside, that these symbols would hold, would hold fast in our lives and in our faith. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for what you have done. We pray these, all these things in your name. Amen.